0: everybody, welcome to Between the Line. It is I, your host for the moment, Drew Hall. So today we have uh, Dan Anderson on the show and Dan is a very complex character. He is both a on-set photographer, set stills EPK kind of guy and he's also a photojournalist and a uh, really interesting interview just kind of meanders about because we I couldn't help. Dan's seen a lot of incredible stuff um, just as a photojournalist and then you know, you tie it into his film career, and it's pretty fascinating. So anyway, we kind of meander about, but it's just it's another story of you working into the business one way or the other, and kind of how you land there. And, and you know, Dan start uh, as he says at, later in the interview, he talks about going full circle. You'll you'll kind of hear that little piece, but yeah. So it it's kind of it's an interesting story to kind of lead in. So anyway, uh, just quick shout outs and plugs and all that good stuff. We want to thank Slack job punks for hosting the show. Obviously you can go to screenplayreaders.com and type in the code between the line and get 10% off your order. Uh, shamelessly plugging craft show. If you haven't headed over there yet, just uh, give us some love. We have a little deal going that uh, if something closes, you know, we pay commission on, on, on referrals because that's how we've done our business so far and that's what's worked. So, Uh, head over to craftshow.com, C-R-F-T-S-H-O.com. Check it out. If we close a deal, I'll pay you for it um, because I think that's what's fair and makes sense. So we're asking you for a favor and then we're gonna pay you for that favor. And if you're in the industry and have a certain position that might fit, then we'll potentially hire you in that space as well. So like you can get work and get paid twice. Who doesn't want to double dip? That's what producers do. So zing, Uh, here's Dan Anderson. We'll just jump right into it okay so here we are with uh dan anderson um i'm gonna say I, i'm gonna intro you the best i can buddy so all right i'm gonna say uh would you say journalist first or or set photographer first where where are you now i would say
1: photojournalist first that's yeah. that's that's where most of my experience comes from all right i'm kind of still intro you know edging into uh the movie business but i think it's been like what four years you were the first one to hire me on
0: oh yeah <laughs> uh all right so we'll say we'll say photojournalist, um and and then you kind of made the transition and i've seen you work in different capacities as an ac i've seen you work as a as obviously epk and doing all the the pub work and kind of moving around in that space but what i want to do is let's kind of go back because you and i met um in discussions of film and i mean literally the discussion <laughs> of film yeah. right on the back porch of a, of a coffee shop local to mobile alabama you were in college at at the time at Spring Hill?
1: Spring Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was a, a year, year or two behind you. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah.
0: And so your focus then was journalism, but it was photojournalism from day one.
1: No. Oh, okay, I so here's,
0: not. okay, see, here we go.
1: No, no, I actually got into, uh, I've, my life has kind of gotten into this weird circle. I got into it because I originally wanted to be a writer. And really? I was going to be, yeah, no, I was going to be a journalism writer and my senior year of, college, not college, senior year of high school, I started playing around with still cameras for the fun of it. Like I had a school project where I needed it. And then I just started carrying around with me. It's like, I'll get photos of my you know, friends and family. Cause I may not see some of these people for a while when I go off to school, it'd be nice. And believe it or not, this is a true story. My grandmother, she took pictures all the time but she would do these really hokey pose photos and it was just, it would take forever and it was annoying and out of spite, I'm like, no, I'm going to try to get a genuine moment. <laughs> like, and it it didn't it naturally come from like, I'm going to be this photojournalist and travel the world. And right. it, it was just, I'm going to do this. It was out of this weird spite for that. And then so my, like, getting into college, uh, freshman year, like, I was, I was a writer and, I mean, I worked a lot, wrote a lot of stuff for the school newspaper, but I started getting more and more into photography and then, like, my... Fr- Right after I got out of freshman year, like I couldn't get into the photography course at Spring Hill because it was a required course in Comm Arts, so all the juniors and seniors got like first bill to get in. But I wanted to learn more about Darkroom, uh, and I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. And so I went home that summer, and like the local art college had a, not a college course, just a, here's a crash course on Darkroom. Like, go shoot a roll of film, here's the very basics of camera exposure, developing black and white, and printing and learned the basics in three weeks got back taught to the comm arts department and they're like well do you want to take pictures for the school newspaper we'll give you keys to the dark room what? and yeah yeah tom lear you know, yeah <laughs> man, everybody knows tom yeah yeah but then uh you know they pretty much just gave me you know pretty much gave me free film that i used to photograph my friend's punk bands <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> so, what we like to hear so it just it really just kind of rolled into this like fun hobby like my Grades took a hit by a letter, and I remember my parents yelling at me. But I'm like, "Look at all this cool stuff I'm making! I love <laughs> right. these photos." Years later, they're like, "Okay, well, I guess you're right." <laughs> and so it just kind of... and I did both. And they, my, my family, can nurtured it. They got me like after a year. They saw I was getting into it, and they actually bought me like a decent used camera. A family friend in Memphis like owned one of the pro photography shops. So it's like where all the professional photographers went and got their gear. This is in the film days. I learned on film and uh, but also all the doctors and lawyers in town would go there and just buy the most expensive thing use it for five years as like a vacation camera so it would wow. come out like twice a year and then they'd sell it off wow so there he had this collection of just great used gear that was barely touched so i got one of those that was my first pro camera the
0: funny thing is the 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 film camera though because it was so mechanical and we weren't i mean things could wear down if you use them a ton right oh yeah yeah but but if they're only being used as you said the process of a film camera it's not like you're dealing with a new sensor upgrade that suddenly de- uh, compresses the, oh, the mid-tones better than the, the, the dark tones. And it, you're literally, it's all you. Like if you screw it up, you can try and fix it in the lab. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then if you screw that up, you're screwed. Well, I, there's no oh, way around
1: that. You know, the thing is, is I, got, I feel lucky because I learned in the bridge generation. Mm-hmm. I was at one where like I had to learn on film. Like it wasn't just this, oh, this will be cute. And it's like, no, you're going to learn on film that's still dominant but you knew digital was coming like yes i was you know developing and printing uh, my photos but at the same time we were also like scanning it we had a nice like nikon negative scanner in, in the mac lab so i was scanning in negatives and learning how to fix nicks and scratches in photoshop oh wow and kind of learning that process so it was kind of this in between school um, but i mean i'm it was weird cuz the, f- the camera the camera i remember i got when i was in college from my family like it was a pro level nikon film camera right if the digital revolution i didn't think it was going to come as quickly as it did um had come as quickly as it did i that would have been my camera right out of college i could have used that for professional work but everybody had switched to digital by the time i graduated that i ended up getting a dslr like a little you know, then it was nice it was a six megapixel camera oh yeah
0: but yeah I and of, how quickly is that jump i mean you know we look at it now it's like it went from i remember cause yeah. they were so expensive and they would jump from six megapixels to suddenly like the new one is eight megapixels uh-huh. and it was like $2,000 more. And then it was 10 and 12 and so forth and so on. And now my iPhone takes a better resolution than my first DSLR. Oh yeah, ever.
1: it's kind of the point I don't even care about megapixels anymore. Like it was relevant, like when I first started taking digital photos and using a digital SLR, I was freelancing for a uh, local paper here, the press register. That's where I got a lot of my photojournalism training. Like since I didn't really study photography, um, Key Sato, who was my mentor, then like brought me on as a freelancer. He's now like, like I think, the yeah, regional editor for the Associated Press, based out of wow. Chicago. Like wow. he runs a fourth of the country for the AP. Wow. Yeah, he's he's up there. He's yeah. Um, but yeah, started at Mo- here, in Mobile, Alabama. Um, but he brought me on, and I learned so much just working there. But the cameras they gave me were like this three megapixel SLR, and it was the mid-level one at the time and I had never shot on a digital camera like a digital SLR I'd use the little point shoots ones and they sent me out to a damn Mardi gras parade at night Oh, and it's sure. not only them have to you know get used to shooting on digital it's canon and I'm Nikon and for those that know it's you can shoot on both but it's a little bit of a different language curve when you first get there and they pretty much just threw me to the wolves the first night they're like if you can come back with two good useful photos we will keep using you
0: wow because they don't
1: have to be stellar they have to be good enough to print yeah so, and I did and they said you you kept up all right, well, we'll use you the rest of the time. <laughs>
0: Good grief. And it was it was
1: painful cuz like with film like you had so much stretch with exposure. Like, you know, you had a couple stops, you could over, you could under it, you could experiment. With digital, especially the early stuff, it's not like you couldn't experiment. It just it captured differently. Right. And it still does. I think we have just all gotten used to it and it's gotten better. But at the time, like it was it just it felt like the step back because I had this really nice pro film camera that had really great autofocus speeds it could you know I think it did like six shots a second if I boosted it up <laughs> fast difference. enough for sports stuff which was good for me yeah and you know then I got this digital camera that like had to stop and save after six pictures that would take like one picture a second yeah it, it yeah. is just like it's it's a step forward but it's also a step back in how you time yourself out but then again it was great to go into the office and just plug a memory card in and there's your photos right
0: and there's no it's, you didn't have to wait for it no do you feel like uh going back to like the the photo the, the photo journalism stuff do you feel like so there's a uh essay susan sontag uh talks about uh, photography a lot and i'm paraphrasing terribly here but One of her things was is to take a picture is to limit someone's view, right? Because if you think about a photograph, which is typically a staged photograph, certainly in the time she was referring or she was writing, you had to stage this picture and then you would stand there and, and, you know, emulsify. The whole process took time to deliver it. So you're really limiting and you're really – it's like advertising, right? When you take a staged photo for advertising, you are selling a brand product. Every little detail is nitpicked versus photojournalism where – As you said, you were trying to capture the emotion. Was that what you were after, is to trying to make it as real as humanly possible, to to kind of like get through the feeling of a photograph? Because I think that's, you can stage a photo and generate feeling, but I don't think you can generate the same amount of feeling as if you captured it in the moment. Oh
1: yeah, well, and that's that's where I came from when I started taking pictures, is that I want to take genuine moments. I want things as they happened. Uh, I mean, I'm looking back, I've almost been doing this 15 years professionally now, and you know now I know lighting, I know all this, but for years, like I just came at it from a very straightforward photo j, get in there, move quietly um, had you know don't use a flash if you don't have to because right. that's disruptive, and try to see if you can get something uh genuine and sincere and that was really hard in the film days. you know I'm fortunate because when I went full pro after college, I also went full digital. oh wow, so that kind of in a way it, it helped my learning curve because I was able to. Start advancing at a faster speed because of the review time was lessened, right? Uh, and I was also working more at the, the local paper with other professional photographers with the years of experience behind me. Before that, for a couple of years, I maybe had an instructor or two, and they were nice. Um, they thought my stuff was great, and I kind of just wanted more critical feedback. Yeah, sure, <laughs> you know. And then I go work for these photojournalists. They're like, "No, this is bad. You got to do this. You're doing this wrong." And not from an, I knew the ethics, but just learning how to get a better photo and move. Um, was hard and because I'm I'm not really um, I'll say this if it wasn't for photography or journalism I would be a lot more of a shut-in really <laughs> yeah, yeah I would have
0: never pegged that I mean as long as I've known you you've been I and mean, because we've always had a connection we yeah. can talk photo and all that but as long as I've known you you always seem very much brought into the space I mean and then I see you on set and you just you deal with actors like they're I mean you'd make I've seen you make them all feel very comfortable and that would be Actors are the most intimidating thing, maybe a-hole directors like me, but but that but you seem very comfortable, so that's fascinating. So that was learned. Oh, uh, right. I
1: was yeah, like it was just really like it was like I I don't know. I was I really had to learn that, and journalism in general and photography especially really helped get me out of my shell. Interesting. At a certain age, I think if I didn't go into that field, I probably would have been a lot. I mean, once I get into a certain comfort zone with somebody, yeah, and we've known each sure, other for sure. years, and you know. But I think as far as like, there's so many things, people I would not have met and things I would not have seen. Like, because I just wouldn't have had the patience to go out there or, or see or do certain things or experience certain things if it wasn't for journalism and photography.
0: Do you feel like in some ways, do you ever look, look? I mean, like you said, 15 years in, do you look back on it, do you feel like you owe, is there, is there a part of you that maybe feels like you owe journalism something? Like, you have to stay committed? Because, I mean, this is not an easy business especially now that print is a brutal scenario. I mean, do you feel like as, as Egon said, print is dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, every
1: time I watch that, it's like, this has a whole new meaning. To yeah, me absolutely. Now. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of this weird thing. It's like deep in my heart, I still feel like I'm a journalist right. and you know, that's what I bring when I'm doing, um, when I, mean, I like set stills, that's, you know, the kind of crossover into the movie thing. Like that's helps me with the set still photography um because i'm used to having one take for everything and being able to get something out of it you know and there's I'm not i'm not trying to oversimplify the set still job it has its own list of challenges on that but deep down in my heart like yeah i'm still a photojournalist and there's a lot of things you know i'll tell you this as much as i've liked getting into film the past four years if i got a phone call from a wire agency and was like, hey you want a full-time job Sell the blimp off. I'm walking away. I'm going to go do that. Sure, and I'll love every minute. I mean, okay, quote unquote. I know there's reality. Yeah, too, right. But you know, sure. But I would happily do that. You know, and that would involve not doing portraits anymore. I'm okay, and I do editorial. I've gotten to really love lighting, but I could turn my back on all that and just go be a journalist and sports photographer.
0: And just and and well, look, it's the same yeah. way. Like I'd love to just go back and just be a DP. That's yeah. all I want to do. Yeah. If I could just shoot commercials the rest of my life, I seriously, I it's not. It's not a it's a fulfillment versus achievement thing. I have achievements, you have achievements. We've yeah. both done very amazing things in our careers, and we'll talk about some of yours in a moment. But uh, I look at it now more as what would be fulfilling, and yeah. and it's not even a money thing for me. I, don't get me wrong; I need to feed my family, right? And you got to feed yours. But I, there's a part of me that's like, hey, you can come shoot commercials for uh, the rest of your life, and here's where there's something really appealing about finding that space because I know I can also. I can challenge myself when I want to challenge myself. And at other times I can kind of, pardon the expression, not phone it in, but do what I got to do to get it by. Right. Versus now when you're on the freelance side of the world, I mean, you're fighting for every single dollar uh, and there's no slack. No,
1: no. And yeah, that's the thing with me. Like I got, I got really lucky about a year ago with a certain film I got on. Uh, same one, you know, a uh, mutual friend of ours, Jared, yeah. but he got on and it was a big step up for me. And but I'll tell you, I, I worked my tail off on that show, and maybe we can go more into that later. But um, but I also made a ton of money on it too. That's sure. the mo- more, most money I'd ever made on a movie. Um, and I did kind of hit that wall like near the end. I think part of it was just it's such a turn and burn film too that you just you know you can burn out on a show anyway where you just want to break. But I was making great pictures. I was getting paid. You know i was getting paid very well for it and people were very happy with my work surprisingly happy with my work because i don't think they were expecting much from me um but it, it did kind of hit that hollowness at some point because it's like you know i don't know in the back of my head i'm just like it's you know no offense to you or anybody else work with there's part of me it's like it's just a movie right you know and and, it, and i love the teamwork aspect of it and everything but When I, you know, when I'm covering like a major news story or a sporting event, especially when I'm covering a major news story, like breaking news, I, you know, I've had to run the disaster spot news. Yeah, I was going to, I was actually going to bring that up
0: because your perspective, but continue. Yeah,
1: Um, that, you know, bring it back to like, what do you really consider? That's, you know, I don't want to say makes me happy doing that because it's, it has its own stresses, but that's where um, you feel like you're exactly where you need to be. Right. I guess would be that this, you know, I, don't, I hate to say it, say it makes me happy because I don't get excited when these bad things happen, but, you know, I, I've got a friend who was an EMT and he was a combat medic, and, uh, you know, I've talked to him, and he's kind of got that same. He's just like, you know, I don't wish for bad things to happen, but when I'm sitting there working on someone, I feel like this is exactly where I need to be.
0: Right. This is what I need to be doing. Right. So. Well, the, the truth of it is, those things are going to happen. Right. Right. And if you can uh, be a cause for change within those, so whether it's. Uh, Because I I, want to talk on two of them. One, you did a lot of coverage on Katrina, right? Yeah, that was
1: my first major story ever, like two years out. Like, I think, yeah, I had only been out of school about two years. So, I mean, I was in, like, early, mid-20s. Like, real green, especially looking back now. Like, I learned so much the hard way. And I'd only covered, i covered a few storms, but not in that capacity. And, I mean, Katrina was, it was such a own monster anyway. There was no way to actually prepare for it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I was working for a European Press Photo Agency, who I still freelance for to this day. Um, I have a great relationship with them. and But that's kind of when I kind of made my first impression with them because they sent me into Gulfport. Yeah, that, that, uh,
0: that I snuck into Gulfport as part of a dock crew. Yeah, I, Actually, it was me and Jared, the guy we just yeah. – we snuck in. We had to dodge, like, state police and stuff. And we ended up – we had brought water and stuff, and we were helping people, but we were getting footage. I was there before – when it hit.
1: Holy Port. cow! Yeah, I was in a hotel room. Uh, I'll be honest. Like some people, I've like my you know they try to this. Oh, you're this tough, cool guy. I was scared. Yeah, you I can have imagine. no idea how scared I was. Uh, I was still a heavy smoker at the time. You could smoke in hotel rooms. And yeah. I remember at one point opening the door and just seeing how bad it was. And I just said this, nope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm not going out there for a couple hours. Um, and well, you you were
0: not obviously near the water. You're no, near, I was near the, the. I was at a
1: hotel near the interstate to make sure you know. But was, even
0: then, the floodwaters came up pretty close. Floodwaters came; uh, they didn't come up that high, but
1: like you could see the wind and yeah. everything, it was tearing up. Like, it, and
0: ironically, it hit just what west of Gulfport. So you're right near the eye because yeah. it hit in Waveland, which is what you know. And New Orleans took a, a big hit because yeah. no one really prepared. It. The New reason, Orleans was a levee failure. Exactly,
1: Mississippi Gulf Coast was the whole was the storm surge
0: yeah when it's 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 just and no one really talked about how dangerous storm surge was back then they didn't have they didn't have a story so that's why we dropped in we were shooting dock footage to show to make this content oh, yeah. to yeah say ladies and gentlemen this is from storm surge here's how it happens you should be very cautious of a hurricane living on the coast, not because of winds, because that's what everyone talks about. But no one at the time was really... Now they've changed the right. time. So it's the same kind of vibe when you're going in. Is, it's not con, just to cover it. It's not the old, if it bleeds, it bleeds. Yeah. it bleeds, it bleeds. Sorry. Yeah.
1: But although that's... Uh, to get back to that from a story aspect, I mean, I um, wrap the Katrina thing up. I spent two months doing that, mostly on the uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast. Wow. Like they... The day it hit, I actually left that night because I couldn't get my photos out. Wow! Like my little—I mean, we have smartphones now. I can—I uh, could have just used my phone, but this is—I had like a flip phone that did not have a camera. This is way, you know, however many years ago, and it just wasn't talking to my computer. I had this weird hack. Uh, long story short, transmitting wasn't as easy as it used to be. I mean, wasn't as easy as it is now. And so I just booked it back to mobile because I knew I could get a line out from mobile register, and I moved my photos that way. And, like, that's at night. That's before they actually had double-checked the whole interstate because there was this whole branch on I-10 in Mississippi that supposedly the bridge was damaged. And on the next day, they had cut – they had blocked it Holy off saying no one cow. should cross that. I'm like, uh, I just crossed that last night. Okay. Good grief. I mean, it wasn't, like, out, like, falling out. Yeah. But like, the supports weren't there, and they were like, no real traffic should go across this. And it, it, was, it was shut down for, like, six months. Wow. Um but then, and then I, next morning, I went into um, Pascagoula Coast and just kind of inched my way every day, and they basically put all their concentration, the agency I work for, in New Orleans, and they said, you know, you've got Mississippi. You've got all of Mississippi. That is your job to cover. No one's going to be talking about that, but we need someone to tell that story. So yeah. that's, I lived that for, That's that was my life for two months.
0: Now, uh, and, and, I, and there's another, obviously, we'll mm-hmm. talk, or I'm going to get back. Full circle why this is all relevant to film because mm. you made a, a very amazing statement at the top that i'm i'm hanging on to to go okay. full circle so how do you like in that scenario because that was i mean we we saw we didn't see any bodies directly but we were the smell of death was yeah i mean how did you deal did you do you just turn something off in your head and i don't mean that you go cold i just right. mean that like i broke down like we i was strong and i helped people and i heard these stories and we documented them but as soon as we left, we got in the car, I just, I cried my eyes out. Like, I couldn't handle the emotion. Do you ever hit that wall or able, is the camera able to give you some separation from that some way?
1: You know, uh, for better or for worse, the camera does give me some kind of separation. And I feel like this, and I, for some reason I was thinking about this on the drive here. I don't know why it kept my mind. I'm thinking back to, te- you know, talking from a technology standpoint, you know, all of my still cameras now shoot amazing video. Right. That was not the thing back in... Oh, yeah, we were on a, a very
0: cam. So trust me, it's a long time. Ago. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, like, you know, I had, like, this is, like, I had an 8 megapixel camera, and that was my hot shit camera. Let me <laughs> leave that <laughs> off you have to. But, yeah, that was my cool no, camera fine,
0: then.
1: Um, and I, one of my regrets, I don't know why this popped up on the drive here, but one of my regrets was there were so many stories I missed because I was just a photographer. Like, so many people were welcoming me into their homes or was left to their homes at, you know, the worst parts of their lives. And I would be very kind. And for the most part, people were actually, like, no – you can come take pictures. You can come talk to us. Once in a blue moon, someone doesn't want you there, and you say, "Okay, thank you. You know, best of luck." You know, and you just turn around, you move on, because um, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and get in someone's face, uh, especially at that moment. So you can do it respectfully, sure. Um, but so many people just wanted to tell their stories, and they would just unload on, and I would listen to them, and I didn't have an audio recorder at the time nothing i had shot video and i was just thinking back it's like god if i just had that equipment then the amount of stories that wouldn't have gotten lost just personal personal histories that you know now if not now god 10 20 years from now my my girlfriend's getting her phd in history it's the kind of stuff they would die to get a hold of oh yeah sure 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 sure. you know and it's like people from all walks of life um but how i dealt with it then i'm really good for better or for worse at uh compartmentalizing. <laughs> no, it's good. It's it will it, it's good to an extent. It gets you to a certain point and then you actually have to learn to deal with it at some point. It'll get you through the day. Sure. And it'll get me through the job. Um I, and, and it's I don't know, it's it's you kind of you, you just see this whole range of human emotion. You see a lot of horrible things, but you see a lot of wonderful things too. Um they, they I don't know, like having to deal with the emotional side of that was just That wasn't, that wasn't the hardest thing I've had to deal with emotionally though. Like I, like that was two months and that was hard on another level, but years later there was like a tornado I covered and I saw some bad stuff there. And that was, that one day was worse for me than two months of Katrina. I mean, it's just, and it's hard to rate the impact and how, how you prepare yourself for it. I think with Katrina, I was able to prepare myself for it and kind of prime my mind every day. And with the other story, I kind of tricked myself into this weird false hope of what I was going to see and. It was one thing and not the other.
0: Oh wow! Um, yeah. Um. Well, that that goes into the, mm. the next piece, and, yeah. and I'm not trying to bring up all the. All no, the stuff, no, no, no. But you've I've, had a, you've gotten to cover some really epic events in human history, right? Katrina was a, I mean, that's a tragedy, yeah. right? And and I know you've done awesome stuff too, and and I'm not taking away from any of the great things. Like you get to cover the Saints, and I envy yeah. you. You're on the sideline <laughs> watching Drew Brees, my all-time favorite quarterback. Uh, go boilers, uh, boiler up, and and, <laughs> and hanging out, seeing that. But then, you, the the other one that I thought was always very interesting, and now there's a film coming out, which is my segue over. Oh, yeah. uh, eventually is uh, obviously Deep Water, right? Right. So you got to cover the entire BP oil spill. I was not in Alabama, so I didn't know the emotional state. I was removed, but my heart was still here. I was in the Midwest at the time. Yeah. So what what was that environment kind of? Well, I opened that up. I actually got called the day deep water blew up like i got a phone call
1: from my editor and they're like if you can find a way to get up get something in the air we need you like it's like we'll pay for it wow let us know and we'll give you a credit card number we will put you in the air thing is it's hard to get in in mobile logistically it's just near impossible to get something that quick that far out in the ocean yeah like it's they had they were flying people out of new orleans basically um but I got called, and then it just kind of – so I was there on the day. I mean, I've, I spent half my day trying to get something in the air, and by the time I was able to kind of book something, um, the FAA had just closed off the whole airspace. It's like, so that's just not happening. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then two weeks later, they tried to get me to do it again um, because that's when they started burning things off in the water. And it just – emotionally, that that affected me in a weird way um, Then. I don't know. It was like almost this kind of like creeping existential dread. I mean, and, and it's weird to talk about it in that way. But with Katrina, it happens. It's bad. You can look all around you. You don't need to talk about it. And, you know, you don't need to photograph it. I mean, it's just, I mean, it looked like a war zone out there. Oh, yeah. It was, it was catastrophic. Yeah, it was catastrophic and it's horrible. Um, but it was almost like this, yeah, this creeping. You just knew it was going to get bad and you didn't know when or how bad it was going to get in your area and that was one of the things where like again they kind of gave me this area of the gulf coast beat and they said just kind of follow it for the summer and pretty much I, i had a gentleman's agreement with my uh agency they said you know i started working for a couple different people and they said if you just work for us i can guarantee you about this much work right um if you don't get too repetitive if it looks like you're getting repetitive and it's just the same stuff every day. Uh, you know, your editors are gonna pull you back. You know, the, our editors in Germany are gonna pull the coverage back. So only go out there when you think it's, because it's your call. And sometimes I would do like a five, six day a week. And sometimes I'd go cover one, maybe two days that week. Right. But it was an every week thing. And I just had to kind of just stay on call for that. And it was, I mean, it just, it never ended. And that, that was more of an anxious thing because you just didn't know what you'd have to go do on, every day or how bad it was gonna get. Because they were pretty you know in again in Louisiana, it was all washing up there. all the oil was coming up there and it was easier to see and then in uh, like here in Alabama, like it would come up in waves like right. you have a one or two bad days and then you wouldn't see anything for a week right and then it happened again and but they didn't shut the beaches down like they did in Louisiana so like you can get like right there and walk through the no there's that ph- there's to. a
0: photograph that I of yours that I mean, I, I take a frame of it as a reminder it's it, I believe it's with the flag and all that stuff oh know, but, god yeah. yeah that that was one of my uh, and that did really that I mean not, not this sounds really cold yeah I understand but that did that got a lot of circulation correct yeah it got that was one uh, this is
1: uh irony of uh, I don't know if irony is the right word that was I took that photo 4th of July weekend. <laughs> Um, and I keep getting this, uh, for all our listeners at home, go to danandersonphoto.com. They but don't. no, seriously, I have a whole oil spill section. There's a whole gallery there. You'll know the photo when you see it, trust me. And I remember like I was going out that weekend to kind of cover the oil spill because it's usually, you know, 4th of July weekend's on the bigger beach weekends and it was just dead. So creepy. And dude. there were still people out there. Like you can find, you know, the fact that I could find parking anywhere, Yeah. Like like, that, that was weird. And I said, you know, I told my editors, well, I'll go work all 4th of July weekend. And uh, I was married at the time. And uh, my wife at the time was just like, she's like, what are you going to go photograph? I said, oh, who knows? Maybe I'll just find an American flag sitting in a puddle of oil and it'll be, you know, very topical. And, like, I was just walking down the beach and it was this little plastic American flag that was on, like, some ticker, some, like, you know, streaming uh some decoration probably out there that if either someone else had put it there or it just kind of flown off and landed. And it was just one of those points. You just look at that and you're like, really? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause I told myself, yeah, maybe I'll find that. And then I just, I proceeded to take a bunch of pictures and frame it differently. And it well, I mean, it's just, everywhere. it's this
0: brutal thing of this cheap petroleum flag. Yeah. I say petroleum flag because the plastic has oh, the yeah. petroleum, and it was just, it was just this complete, to me, it's a it's a piece of art, and it wasn't. It was a it was a journo moment of capturing reality. Yeah, uh, that you made to me. I can stare at that forever, and it reminds me of a whole lot of different things, and it inspires me in different ways. And well, thank and, and, you. And no, it's a really important picture for me. Thank you. So uh, I I've loved it for a long time. It's it's like a whirly uh jeff's been on the show jeff used to do chem as well he was a chem photographer i call you guys chem photographers now and uh and <laughs> so learned on film yeah. jeff used to do these uh uh um silver nitrate prints oh. and he has one of his dad and i've known jeff for a long time I've known as dad it is the most emotionally draining beautiful image of sadness and hope and this is prior to jeff lost his mom not yeah. too long ago but it was prior to all that, but there was all – and his dad is a war vet and all that. I mean, you see – you get every bit of emotion. It's the same way with that – I look at it and it's a, it's a huge thing. It's art. It's It feels almost constructed, but it's not, which then leads into the exact same thing of filmmaking, which is completely the construction of art. Yeah. It's the falsification. It's that image that is going to show up in deep water because yeah. they saw your photograph, and now it's going to be the Michael Bay – even though it's Peter Berg. It's yeah. gonna, and, it, and the flag will Michael be Bay waving. Michael over the oil and yeah. that's our symbolic image to close out the, the the piece but making that transition do you ever find yourself like have you found opportune moments getting into set stills because you kind of just jumped in we we grabbed yeah. you i was like i know dan i trust him he shot my wedding damn it yeah uh, i know what he can do uh, as a favor um and it's still the coolest wedding pictures ever thank you but uh jumping into it like you then got thrown in, right? And it was like, you just got to figure out how to make it sort of vibe.
1: Yeah, that was that was really – I had only worked on really one film set the year before, and that was like for two weeks as a, as a second AC. of was my first show ever uh, with your movie, Sons. Um, so – and I kind of got thrown in on that one, and it was somewhat comfortable in a way because, uh, I, I mean, I'd worked with – the it was kind of the same crew as Sons, so sure. I'm with people I'm familiar with, um, which helps but i didn't know i just knew i needed to take good pictures like i wasn't 100 percent sure like am i doing this job right and hey tell you this true it wasn't until a couple years later that i actually started to do research online like what are who what have other people that have done this job written about it like it was like i just all i knew is i needed some kind of camera blimp and i needed to make it happen um but i mean i think it worked out for me and as far as like opportune times like sometimes you get you still get lucky with set stills like, but you're, it, it, you're calculating your luck the same way you do on, on a still photo shoot for, you know, covering a news story. You're, you're taking your chances. It's, it's like, okay, you're, where do I think I might, is it going to be a possibility for a photo? Do I wait here? Do I go somewhere else? Um, for a news story. And that's the same thing with, uh, and you do your research, try to see what the best option is. Same thing with set stills, you know, read your script, know what the story is that everyone should read a script. Um, some people are like, we were set souls. You don't have to read it. It's like, no. I need to know who these characters are and what their relationship is and who I'm photographing. You know. Yeah. So now I know why I need to get photos of this guy and why I need to get photos of these people together. Um, but you can get into a rhythm on set. You know, half of it's like lens selection. You know, I only have like two lenses I really swing on my camera for most shows. So it's either a 70 to 200 zoom or a 24 to 70. Right. You know. Uh. And to get into a real technical thing about the job, I, my my cheat is is that. It depends on like if it's an A B camera setup, but if they're going for a tight shot, I realized that they're if they're putting on long glass and they're going for a tight shot because of where the camera has to be, it's a good opportunity for me to get a wide shot. Smart. And when they go for a tight shot, and when they go for a wider medium lens where they're getting closer in, that's when I need my telephoto stuff. Yeah, no, it's smart. That's <laughs>
0: it's what you should, that's smart.
1: A, it's about ba- I, I I had to learn that ebb and flow over you know that's you know just oh that's what works best, and even then it could not work out you know the actor might not like you in their eye line and their eyeline stuff but you do find um yeah sorry No, let's go cool. but you know you do find those little moments there it's there's not i'm trying you know I, god there is like one there's been a few scenarios where i've shot something that wasn't planned and then it just ended up like you just find uh oh movie i worked on last year um one of my photos and they they hired a separate uh, unit stills to come in and do promotional shoots of all the main actors like with four point lighting set up and professional setup this person they flew in they even told me they said we kind of hired him because we weren't too sure what we we're going to get with you they said but we love you your your, your stuff's great we kind of didn't have to bring this guy in cuz right. we could use your stuff all day but we've already paid for him so and it's the you know i hate to say this but very used you know floating head setup but one of the actors just wasn't going to be there. One of our lead actors wasn't going to be there on the day for the setup. And they ended up using one of my shots because I made sure to get good headshots of everybody. And it's it wasn't a shot on set. It wasn't done like during a scene. It's while the actor was sitting like, you know, in a tent in a black, you know, in a black backdrop tent. And the lighting just happened to be, you know, perfect on him. Yeah. That edge light. It was, you know, that kind of Rembrandt edge lighting. And I just got a good tight shot. Like right there and it was just good enough for them to photoshop out and be like okay we
0: can use that no way. that's incredible because he was only going to be there like one or two days but so that was using your photojournal moment yeah. right because that's not a non-planned setup mm-hmm. which is where i was kind of like it is a lot of and i understand your point your, your yeah. earlier point which was you know we're sitting around with like oh we're so important because we do take it filmmakers you know you're on set it's yeah. very self-important and we've yeah. got to make sure this but we're not really changing potentially the world, right? We're right. not covering something that's impacting everyone. Your side of it, certainly. We believe that it is because I'm telling a story that needs to be told, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's just opinions. But so there you're using pure, completely, photojourno, stealing the shot, straight up in and out. And I go back, and I and I know Convergence was early in your deal, uh, maybe first. Um, but I go back and look at Convergence, and there's shots from that that I've tried to use repeatedly as poster things, and now they're potentially going to be done on the european side on the that's because they get the art of the shots and there's these two beautiful portraits uh, one of uh ethan Embry, and he's looking one direction blood on his head there's another one of clane looking oh i know the shots you're talking about and i made two posters out of it and i was like this is this sells my movie like show these two look at this intense imagery that says psychological thriller that's what you need to know about the film and you know of course they hodgepodge everything together But the beautiful side of all that, where I'm going with it, is is those were captured in the moment, performance. I don't think those were staged, Where they? I
1: never, part of it because I was, I didn't want to, it was my first set still job, and I didn't want to like just, you got to stop for sets. I didn't want to stop everybody, and I think I only played that card once. On convergence, so because that was my first film, and the shot didn't even work out. Like there happened to be, I think you know the shot in Convergence, You had all your bad guys lined up, and you're like, kill them or whatever. Yeah. And but it was so tied in there, I couldn't get in there. Right. And I was like, okay, I need to. And I had. I, begged tony to just like i need 30 seconds (laughs) let me try to get it but it was so dull it just it didn't work out but that's the only time i played that card and that is that's what you bring up is that a lot of people will do a hold for stills and they bring that up a lot i try to kind of keep that card close to my chest because a lot of the movies i work on whether i'm there all the time or they're just bringing me in half the time um they're really trying to burn them out there's not a lot of free time well there's never a lot of free time on set but there's just you know they don't want to take a lot of time for you. Right. You don't want to be the one holding up production, and every so often you have to get something, yep. and you kind of have to judge when you want to play that card. Uh, I had that in my last film. Like the, they needed to clean certain shots that uh, the distribution company was like very adamant about getting certain shots of the lead actors, and you know, but one of them we were only going to have this you know our lead guy for like one day, and I've worked with them before, had a great relationship working with them before. But I knew it was just going to be one day and I knew how he was like sometimes I, de- I wasn't even on set half the time when he was performing because it was such a small space and I knew how he was about eye line. I'm like, he's, you know, he's going to yell at me and tell me to get the hell out. There's no point in me even trying to get in there. And the distribution company was very adamant about having a, a couple of certain photos. So I pretty much had to go talk to production and his agent and just be like, okay, when we're in this scene and he's dressed like this, I need a minute either before or after we shoot this but I knew that minute it's gonna have to happen right and so and I mean i talked to like I had to go to like director first AD and his agent and be like make this happen
0: right okay fine and
1: it did you know and I was able to get a shot it's
0: iconic photo I know which one it is so one of the things Dan uh, did and I I just got it because I just saw him again (laughs) I haven't seen him in quite a while but Dan did something very clever and kind of put together, uh, you know, as a, a DP, I have a, I have a reel. As a, as a sound uh, editor, Jared has a, as a reel. Um, but how do you do it with set stills? Well, you can obviously have an online presence, and that's not what we're talking about. Right. But what you did that I thought was really clever is you put physically put a book in my hand. It's laid out really nice. It's beautiful images. It's photographs. I can look through it. And obviously the opening shot is the one that I think you're referring to, correct? is that the actually sign? same actor different movie oh wow okay same Got actor it. different movie yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's this is that that been released that photo the movie yeah. no mm-hmm. no that photo is this photo out? yeah all everything in there was all right, well, this photograph is i'm just gonna say it, Go it. and if yeah. i have to i think i can say it and it keeps you safe uh, it's from uh, Indianapolis, uh, U.S. Isn't Indianapolis Men of Courage, and it's and it's all a,
1: on my public website. So yeah, we can yeah, talk it's about
0: it. Yeah. So it's an image of Nick Cage, and it is it. I mean, it looks like a dadgum perfect portrait. I mean, it was, and Nick, you know, he he's like a lot of actors, and we've dealt with it with Clain. Yeah, claim does not like to be photographed. Too late now, pal. You're on Lethal Weapon. Your right. face is all over the world. Um, but it's it's part of sometimes you know because it's it takes them out of their space or whatever. That, I think, is one of the hardest positions, the set still side, because you have to get what producers need. You have to deal with rambunctious, angry, pissy directors. You have to deal with actors who are trying their their best to stay in a character in a moment. they got a lot of their play, too. You've got sound that needs to get in. Everyone's trying to get to these people at one time, and you have to weasel your way in. And typically... The producers put you at the top of the pe- the top of the pile, but everyone else is probably like, "Dan, get out of the way." Dan, get out of the way.
1: Yeah, that, I always describe like when I'm talking to people, especially like non movie people, when you know they talk about like because technically when you're set stills, you're you're under camera department, but right. not really. You kind of have to work with them, but you know it's you know technically I report to DP, but I really report to production. You know I just have to be able to be in the same truck with camera department. I always kind of describe set stills and EPK as kind of this weird bastard child of, like, crew and production. Right. You're kind of in this weird netherworld in between. You're between the line Yeah. You where you are, are. Yeah, yeah, it. it's, it's the, the definition of the job. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you kind of float in between. It's we- and You know, you're kind of, you know, you have people over you, but you're also your own boss on set. Right. Because, you know, and I've been a second AC a few times, and I was a second AC on a union show a couple years ago, and just you're getting yelled at all the time. That's part of being a second AC, I think. Um, you know, you're always having walkie chatter in your ear, and, like, with set stills, you just have to kind of figure it out. So, and the thing is, is that if you don't do the job right, if you don't get it half the time, uh, production's not
0: going to really notice until it's too late. Yep, I hate to say that, you know. Um, but then they're going to scrutinize it ten times more. Yeah, you know, it's like if you miss a shot in post, they still have a deadline in post, right. right? There's no deadline for PR typically. It's like they can go back and revisit that same photograph a million times and be like, "God, if he were three inches left, you yeah. know, or whatever." I'm just saying. So you, you have to be very attentive, is what I'm saying. Is it, yeah, because they're
1: not. You know, they, sometimes like you know, they this people will not give that an honest look till years later. Like uh, with Nigel, like yep. you know, I just had to give you the hard drive back with all the stills in EPP yeah. a couple months ago. You know? Well, that's from tragedy. <laughs> well, that then that was from a that was also from a yeah that had, yeah, yeah. So I,
0: I, I lost the for those that don't know the hard drive and the backup uh, the, the ten terabyte hard drive RAID and the backup. For that both were corrupted from a logic board issue so i lost the entire movie i had to start over so i mean i lost my original copy oh god stuff. that's yeah I'm so re- that's why i had to come back and get like <laughs> dan do you still happen to have these and luckily you did that's pain I, i've got a i've got a dead hard drive at home going off on that
1: subject but i've got a from like 2009 to some other area it's like a year and a half worth of stuff that just drive will not read or boot like yeah. i'm when i've got the spare money i'm going to find a place that i can send it off to and yeah. get it recovered because there's a year and a half of archives that
0: <laughs> yeah it's gone it's gone I mean, it's Yeah, gone, I get it
1: unless I get the drive to read
0: what was it so, so, so for the film side I mean you know you've done a lot of action movies uh, drama um, you know uh, there's a lot of those pieces in, in, that you've done and I'm not this isn't to shamelessly plug Nigel Nosker this is about your world but for me that was my first comedy directing wise yeah. in that space and I at Was that your first comedy piece? Yeah, well, you done some limo ride stuff there, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I worked on. Yeah, I worked on limo ride, which is this indie movie. But that wasn't set stills on that. I was actually like, I was that completely side job. I was like, actually, I was the guy in the water with the 5D and like a water case, oh, yeah, getting nice. the dive. Get, You're, getting You're Yeah, I was. An, I was a cam, basically camera hopping for the day, and the director like he brought. I was just day played like one day, but he brought me on. I was like, Dan, you are the most expensive and important shot today. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. Like you know, we've got our DP out there with a red camera doing all this other stuff. We got people doing the size stuff, but you are now the most expensive and the most important shot of the day because we get we do not get another chance to get this event. Right. And you know, he basically we walked through the storyboard because I kind of had to basically second unit direct it out in the water because Carson can't be out there. I mean, it, this is like in the middle of this uh, December. It's and, a polar
0: bear plunge.
1: Plunge, and I'm out there with with like a you know um, dive suit. What's at the uh, uh, wetsuit? Wetsuit on. So they had a wetsuit for me, and they had the dive. They got the gear for me, but they forgot to get the booties for it. So, oh like, no way! So my feet were freezing, and so but like, and I had to basically we had to shoot like these different little scenes, and then there's this polar bear dip, and I had to get the footage of them all running out there. But I had to be kind of the marker for oh, the actors as well, gosh. so I had to stay out in the water for a while. Sure. And like, my feet were freezing. By the time I got out, Carson's like, "How you doing?" I'm like, "I can't
0: feel my feet." <laughs> Can't <laughs> fill my feet, man. <laughs> it's so
1: good. And this is like super indie filmmaking that we're working on this stuff on. Yeah, it's, it's a
0: guerrilla. It, it, it's a fun movie. It's just super guerrilla fun. Yeah. Um, kind of the definition of uh, DIY filmmaking. Um, and, you know, there's still DIY, even distro we've been talking lately. But where I was going with is, yeah. is comedy, a different beast, because we, oh, yeah. we let improv go. We just said, have at it. Here's right. your improv. Uh, well, that was my loose.
1: that was my first comedy, and then well, also like Nigel was like, kind of like only my only second s- set sales job at the time, so it was kind of I'm still felt like I was still kind of learning the craft too, um, but also the crew was nice enough to work with. I mean, oh, it's always great, but like the the cast was great. Um, every you know, everybody was great to work with on that show. So I mean, it's different, and I just kind of it's like I'll just shoot that. And if there's some kind of funny physical scenario, maybe I'll get a, you know. Yeah, just go where my eye goes on right. that one. I, You know, it's a different set of challenges. I, that one wasn't too difficult. I had another comedy that I did last year. Good good show, uh, yeah, enjoyed working with the cast and crew. And I, I, they seemed very happy with my set still stuff, but I was going over the stuff for my portfolio. Uh, and I'm not trying to knock the movie this way, but it's just not the kind of thing that, they're happy with the product. I did my job well. Um, I just I don't think I'm gonna be using any of my portfolio because it's mostly just people walking and headshots and people hanging out. There's not a lot of physical humor. There's no gags. There's nothing visual right. to the humor. It's, right. it's a lot of dialogue-driven stuff, and it's good. It's I actually really liked that script. Really touched me in a weird way because I kind of had a similar experience in my personal life. <laughs> <laughs> like it was one of those ones I didn't want to freak the director out. And, like near the end, I was just like where did you pull this from because you've this is my life i said this this and this i didn't want i don't want to get into it I Said this all happened to me yeah sure sure when i was a kid and he's like you're kidding yeah <laughs> so but uh and it was a good experience but like that's and there was like some notable stars on there but i outside of just saying i've worked with that actor i mean it's on my cv i'll use the recommendation but that you know there's nothing visually i can sell like you know for theater with you it's indianapolis it's kind of an action drama yeah, but it's huge set piece. pieces. And, yeah. you
0: know, obviously the stars work, but, I mean, literally looking at the photos, you have these, I mean, you just open a page and it's two, it's three epic shots in a row, right? I mean, it's, it's just, and, of course, this fire and there's water and you're shooting on a barge yeah. off into the ocean. I mean, it's not, it's drama. It's high drama. And yeah. every one of those frames, to me, your selects, all capture that drama you're telling a story whether you like it or not even if it's just an, a, a a photo moment it's a legitimately powerful photograph that almost looks like it was period i mean this is the retelling of a true story if you guys don't know the story of uss indianapolis look it up uh quint mentions it it's a jaws prequel it's a jaws prequel <laughs> yeah <laughs> quint, all wrong sharks i think mm. um but but if if you Again, I'm, I know all the stuff's on, on your website, danandersonphoto.com, right? Yeah. Um, just go look at it, because it's insane to kind of jump in. Um, there Wasn't there some explosion gag that you got, like, a buzz on for doing something that no one else, like, you captured it differently? was yeah. just another journo moment of...
1: Yeah, it was kind of, well, that we only had, like, two takes. I mean, well, especially on, you know, when it comes to effects, you only have a certain number of takes you can do stuff with, and it was that night, and I just kind of, was just like, I'm going to shoot it out, and hopefully it works out well and we had you know two takes with this pyro explosion on this battleship we were shooting on here and it just i i don't have in my portfolio because it hasn't been released but it was basically this epic you had like the whole orange flames you can tell what's going on everyone's you know the two main it was like one of the, uh, two of the main lead actor and another actor just bathed in orange and it's this huge action explosion shot and like the producers saw that and they're like, yeah, we're, we're gonna probably bring you on for two more films just based yeah. off of that picture alone. Um, I feel like in a way with the kind of go back to Indianapolis, that was a big step up for me because that was my first uh, union show to be a sil- set sale guy on and I'd done the job in like a year and they kinda, they told me later on they got put in a position where they hired to hire a local and you know, I got the call and two days beforehand, they're like, okay, uh, you know, come in for the interview and bring your portfolio. And I'm like, sure. And then I hang up and I'm, you know, I've got stuff on my website, but no one makes printed portfolios. That's what, what kind of led me to make that oh, later yeah, on smart. as a promotional thing. But no one really makes printed portfolios anymore, I, you know, outside of maybe the New York or LA market when they're dropping books off. But no one here, everyone just goes to your website. And I was like freaking out. I'm like, what am I gonna do? And I went and bought an iPad like the next day at Best Buy, well, put it on like, my Best Buy card.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. And I, at the time, I was kind of, I love this.
1: I was like, I'm gonna go buy an iPad and you know, cause I need something easy that they can flip through. I don't want to like hassle with like, here's my laptop and yeah. hey, look at this photo. It needs to like, you know, a five year old can flip through it. And I go get the iPad and I put it on my Best Buy card. I get the cheapest iPad Air I can get. They had an out of box one. And I was kind of broke at the time because it was like middle of the summer and I'm usually dead slow. And I get it. I'm like, okay, well, after I do the interview, I'm going to go back and... Because I was like, how long can I return this? He said, you got two weeks. I'm like, okay. Right. Because I was at first I was like, I can't afford to buy an iPad right now. I'm just going to return it as soon as I'm done. And then like, there's a couple of portfolio programs you can get pretty cheap. And as I'm laying it out, I'm like, well, this looks kind of nice. Okay, how about this? If I get the job, I'll keep it. Yeah. Because <laughs> then it helped get me a job. But if I don't I'll, I'll return it.
0: You know, there's no point in having. You were renting it from Best Buy.
1: Renting it from Best Buy. Yeah. And but I, you know, I would go in there, and, and my portfolio was was Convergence and Nigel and Oscar, and that's all they looked at. I had a separate one for my photo J stuff, but they just wanted to see, you know, my other experience. They didn't even care. Right. <laughs> they just they don't they didn't even just over their head. Yeah, like, sure. That whole experience is just not they they just assumed I was a local wedding photographer. Right. I'm like no, I'm I, mean, I shot your wedding. It's I, I haven't really done that one was a here. favor.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I've pre- I'm, I'm putting the prereq on it being uh, a favor, but no that, that got me, you know, and that got
1: me in the door because they kind of got and then they're like, well, you got the job, you know, starts in a couple weeks, and like I basically had to drop about, including the iPad, about twenty five hundred dollars on new gear. Wow, just to do it because I didn't on um, uh, just to get a technical side for those that don't know. Uh, for set stills you usually have to shoot with some kind of cover on your camera known as a blimp Uh, for Drew's movies I was able to get away with the soft shell one Um, not having any problems but they for especially the Union ones they expect you to come on with a hard shell one and the blimp's not cheap no none of them are cheap I I looked at three different options Uh, I tried calling uh, Jacobson is the number one one out there I tried calling and I don't feel bad like I'm dissing the company I emailed and called them and could not get any feedback from them um, and AquaTech makes them too um, I heard they're super great but they're so camera specific that whenever you upgrade a camera you have to get a new body and I was like oh, I don't want to get stuck in that just if I start doing this all the time sure but yeah right I don't right. want to get stuck in that and there was another company and it was just a DIY company called like uh, Fatboy Camera Blimp and it was like a European set stills guy his own little private business he kind of made it himself and you know he had like here's your icon you know and it cost me about fifteen hundred dollars with shipping from europe wow, wow. um to get him. but he responded to me on the day yeah of course like i emailed him and then like four hours later he's just like well this is how much it costs this is what you have to do to get it work it's a very simple contraption as far as compared to some of the other ones i've seen but it works great it's lightweight um but that cost me fifteen hundred dollars i had to get a new roller case all this other stuff um but i did you know the movie was so good like that's you know, I hate to get into too much financials, but that's how I got paid in a week after taxes. Yeah, right. So first paycheck just went to go pay off. Yeah, everything so then you're I You're in the profit margin. I mean, you're yeah. still a business, and I'm still four weeks. I've still got four more weeks of work right. where they're working me. You know, at least twelve hours. There's a lot right. of OT in that. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of long days. A lot of days, but uh, no, like, but they they took a chance on me. Like I I was like ba- I, and I kept I've been banging to get my foot on the door with a lot of these companies for a while, and they got put in a position where they couldn't bring in someone else. And I think for budgetary reasons, they just had to hire a local. And they even told me we were not expecting much. And, you know, they made me do an edit every day. So it wasn't, you know, most of the time I just turned my photos in on a drive. There they wanted a 20-picture edit on top of all that. And uh, I did that, and I'd upload a to Dropbox. And after a couple days, they're like, you're really good. Yeah, no, it's great. (laughs) And to be honest, it felt kind of like a cheat because the first two weeks we were on a platform in the water in the middle of the, you know, all throughout the day, open air on the day on the water. And so the rules of normal set photography didn't apply. So I didn't have to use a blimp for two weeks. I've got like a 300 millimeter telephoto lens that I use for like sports photography and news. So I had that, I was bringing that thing out there. Wow. And was able to just get these money shots of them out there.
0: And they're just like, this is great.
1: Yeah. You know, and in a way, I kind of felt like I kind of cheated to get my way in there. No,
0: but that, but that's <laughs> kind of more my point. Uh, this entire interview and, and the entire part of talking to you is obviously show another, because we, as we've discovered, you are yeah. truly between the line in your yeah. career when you're on set. But it, it goes into the same side of the, because this show covers the entertainment. I mean, it covers the business of, of doing creative stuff. But it's the fact that you have to get creative and pull from your history. Every part of your life, your background, uh, knowing this, it's it's like uh, because I love food so much, I pay attention to food details. So like I will – if we don't have a food stylist, like sometimes our department, I want to make sure the food is arranged the exact way I want because there's a reason I want it that way. Right. It sounds idiotic, but it makes a difference on an insert or a close-up. It's those little details. The fact that you had the ability to go, wait a second, I can just pull from my Saints package and I'm going <laughs> to treat it like a sporting event oh, yeah. and get these really amazing – that's the ingenuity of being between the line. That's that's being Dan Anderson. That's what makes you different than anyone else, but also maybe motivate somebody else to turn around and go, wait a second. I uh, used to do construction. Maybe I should go into set construction. Sure. Cause you're gonna know something that other people aren't. And there's stuff you're gonna have to learn. Yeah. But figuring it out is kind of the balance.
1: No, but I mean I didn't have to stop them for redo's. They even offered, because we were on the water for two weeks. They said, you know, if you want to, we can, you know, we'll put you on a jet ski with your camera. And I'm like, it's not worth risking my gear. I said, I can sit here with my telephoto glass. And they would shift, we would basically shift the set in the water, you know, and just turn people differently, you know, because we couldn't move the platform itself. And, you know, whenever we do different angles, I can just, I'm either on camera left or camera right. Yep. And because of the way it is, I don't have to worry about anyone getting mad about eyeline. Because, right. you know, we're all just out there in the middle of the water. So, but no, and I, I think I got lucky that we started with that because I was able to kind of just prove myself in an easier fashion. And then... After two weeks, when we started working like in closed spaces and sets, like still got See, good stuff, but that's that's a little bit more of a harder job. But that's what's
0: so fascinating, yeah. right? So to them, the hardest part of that shoot—I, I, I mean, knowing some of the history of that yeah. uh, film, the hardest part of that shoot because I the logistics of moving crew onto the water, actors cast in the water. Uh, the plane, the infamous plane story, which yeah. we will only tease that way. Yeah, um, you can do your own research for that. All these things were happening, and it's easier for you. And then suddenly they go to controlled space where it's normal filmmaking. we're, yeah. we're out of the danger. We're out of the out of the sink, and now suddenly we're. And it's like, that's when your world gets harder. Because you suddenly have more confined spaces and eyeline issues. People are aware of me. Everyone knows you're there. The
1: chaotics. No one's aware of me. No one cares that I'm there. I'm like, as long as I'm not in the way. So it's easy. I can work that. Like, I think there's at one point where I think I just, where one of, you know, not to get into that, but where we were having to shoot in the water because we had this thing that was kind of beached up. And, like, I just, I wore my swimsuit that day and just stripped down my swimsuit and then wrapped my blimp in a plastic bag and went out there and had it up and just shot, shot, shot. Wave came up, put my camera up, shot, shot, shot. <laughs> wow. I even had like a, I've got like a point and shoot that does raw, it's an older camera, and it um, it has a dive case in it. I brought that out there just so I didn't have to worry about the spray, and they actually got a couple good photos that they ended up using for that.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
1: It's, I mean, it's, it's just little, okay, I've got a way around. I, I had to, I, I but part of that goes into logistics planning. I knew we were gonna be on the water, I read the script. I made notes and not, you know, where a I thought good shots would be and just logistical issues I'm going to run into. And if, you know, they wanted me to be able to get something, I had to be prepared for it. Right. So that's why I had the dive camera. That's why I had, I had water casings on me. You know, I had all right. this other stuff. Like I, and I have rain gear because I've had to shoot in a, a football game and a downpour. Well, I've covered, you know, tropical storms and hurricanes. Right. In the middle of the, you know, I have gear to cover my camera with. Right. So it was like.
0: All right, I'll just pack that and bring that all along. <laughs> well, what would you say, like, kind of, uh, since we're we're close to our mark here? Yeah. What would you say, kind of, wrapping up? What what is your advice to to either journalist or people that love photography or someone that's that's making the migration? It doesn't have to be even into film, but I mean, what, what kind of advice would you give from? Because you, you are a bridge generation. I think that's a great term. Yeah. You came from, you learned film, and now you're only digital because that's what the world is. Yeah. But but what kind of advice do you have for people kind of breaking in, whether it's set stills, EBK, or photojournalism? I mean, where, where do you go with that? Oh, so I,
1: I, I kind of feel like getting into film is really my life coming full circle in a weird way. Because um, how I got into journalism, because I stumbled into it in high school um, – When I was in high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was trying to figure it out. I had this nebulous idea about being a writer, um, but I didn't know how that was going to translate. I thought, well, maybe I'll study English and teach English on the side or whatever. That's probably a million writers that have said that. Um, And then it was actually like my mom and my stepdad suggested this to me because they got a promo packet from the College of Santa Fe. It was a Catholic college out in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they had a film department out there. Not a huge one, but you could get a film degree. They had a couple of working sound stages. It wasn't huge California New York film department kind of thing. But and this is
0: pre incentive out there though. Oh,
1: this is pre incentive. Yeah. But no, they 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 did they uh one of their notes is that, you know, Rebo Man was shot out there. Yep. Uh, I think part of it was cut there, too. Yeah. Um, whoever it was that wrote the screenplay for Groundhog Day was teaching out there. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went out there, and that was the first college I ever visited. And I didn't realize people could actually make a living. You know, it never thought my mind, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Right. But they put that idea, like, working in the film industry is a thing. And I went out there, and I, I seemed interested, and I, inter- you know, toured the college. Um, but it was a very demanding program. It's one of those ones where they only took, like, 70 students a year if you applied for it for your major and if you didn't get in you could try to apply one more year and after that you could only minor in it wow and i was just and that and i kind of chewed it over and there i asked them, I said, well how strict is it they're like if only 68 people apply all 68 will get in 72 people apply two people aren't getting in they said it's that strict but that's how they kept control of class size and everything and i was seriously considering it and That's actually what got me to go work for the high school television station so I could start playing with cameras and editing, just learn like basic nuts and bolts. And then I decided, you know, film sounds too competitive. I don't know if I'm really, I've got what it takes. I'll go into journalism because that makes more sense. Yeah, looking back, that's weird. But I ended up taking like a journal, and because I started like working for the college, meant the college, the high school television station, I took a journalism course my senior year of high school where we learned to write more I realized I like print media more and writing news stories and I kind of had a knack for it and then years later got into still photography and it, it all started because I had an interest in film and yeah. then like that first like four years ago and I walk on a film set I was like and my life's come all back around yeah. and now I'm, I'm back certain. on a film set Yeah, <laughs> and you, I'm, was, I'm not back on there I'm actually working in film and I thought that would never sure it was this weird background idea that I had when I was younger and then I was like oh no that's not going to be a thing
0: it's the destiny
1: yes pretty much so it was you know I think that's part of you never know where you're gonna you know, that sounds very hokey I know, but you don't know where you're gonna end up in life and where things take you sometimes. No, no, Uh, that's the point. Where there's there's different leads, so you know. Um I don't know, it's yeah, so it's it's really weird to be like, No, I'm actually working in film.
0: (laughs) Right. As a filmmaker. As a
1: filmmaker, you know. Yeah. yeah, So
0: I don't know. It's it's you know, and then I start going back, Well what if I did go to film school? (laughs) Yeah, sure. You start second guessing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm 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 in a lot of ways I'm happy
1: with where I am in life and where things kind of have ended up, like it's not what I planned. Right. But I kind of stopped making plans once I got out of college. Like, yeah, I, it, you figured
0: that out pretty quick. Yeah. The real world is uh, all those all those beautiful contained dreams yeah. get shattered into what the what the reality is, and you could still have those dreams and still pursue those dreams. Yeah. But the way you're going to get there may not be the same reality as what you once had. Right.
1: Yeah. So no, I, I didn't. I, honestly, I never thought. You know, I originally wanted to get into being a newspaper photographer, and then I realized the newspaper industry was falling apart Right. before. And I think I had interviewed at a couple jobs, and I was just like, I'm just, I'm happier being self employed. And, and then people who had interviewed me and turned me down, I would run into them years later, and they got laid off. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, so no, <that's>
0: <laughs> feast or famine.
1: Yeah, they were kind of jealous of me. Not that I'm some huge success, I just, you know. I think I, I've made it work. I found my you little niche. You get
0: to niche. sleep in, is what it, what it is. Yeah. On your, on, if you don't have a client. Well, I do have kids to, yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other side of it, sir. <laughs> Trust me. They kill your freelance career. <laughs> kids put you back on the clock. Yeah.
1: With movie work, I'd say just get whatever, like, as always, get whatever job you can. Right. I mean, I, I think you would actually approach, from my first film, you had talked to me about possibly doing set stills. And that didn't work out, and then you offered me a job as a second AC, and I I took it because I needed the money, and it gave me experience on a set. Right. You know, and and I you know I still do second AC work here and there, um, partially just from financial reasons sometimes. But you know, I you know there's that happened with another union job that came through where I ended up being second AC because logistically I couldn't be. They're considering me for set stills, but because of the way a schedule was going to work out, I couldn't be there the, the last three days, and they're like, you have to be there on one of those days, and. They said, "Well, we'll just hire you as a second AC for the whole time," and I just took it. But it it got me on there, learning people. You know, network, but don't be too pushy. Um, but be willing to take whatever job you can and take criticism well. Right. I think is a good way to to start. Um, you know, always be humble with journalism. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's such a weird. It, it's di- how I got into it is different than how, and I didn't come from a photojournalism. I didn't get a degree in photojournalism, but I was able to learn in this kind of somewhat traditional way. I was able to get a freelance gig with a local paper and had experienced photographers that taught me how to shoot for paper and shoot on deadline and turn around and do certain logistical things. Um, but daily newspapers are going away. I don't know where that next generation is going to necessarily come from. Right. So Instagram. I, yeah. It, well, there was, I think, one of the riots that happened last year. There was a time cover photo they pulled from, I mean, they paid the person for it but it was Did a they really but I mean a- it was a black and white photo from Instagram I mean it's a good picture it was a great shot wow. time ran it and they they, they they licensed it they didn't just you know snatch it. and they licensed the photographer they didn't license it from Instagram right good for them um, that I mean there's a few photojournalists I know that you know will work with the, you know uh, make a point to work with iPhones wow yeah and it's I mean but that's where it's gotten I think for and some people will do that for speed they will shoot stuff out on their phone you know mm-hmm. The tool doesn't matter. It's if you can tell the story well. Yeah, I, I guess that's the best experience, best thing I have as far as trying to break in. Again, be willing to learn. I mean, there's some people that, you know, and, and don't ever think it's too late because there's some people I know who don't hit you know hit their mid 40s before they start really hitting their career stride. Right. Some people that mentored me got laid off from the paper five years ago and were asking me for freelance advice. Right. Because they had never been self-employed, and you know. They weren't too sure about the careers now one of them you know he got sent off to be an editor of his first olympics in rio this year
0: wow
1: he's never covered the olympics before and that's his first time i mean it's 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 funny it's you just have to ride the wave yeah and it's always it's always up and down and i'm kind of in the middle of a down period right now it's we just, all are yeah. i think it's
0: not just you i mean uh jacks uh who we had on the show uh, a while back uh, obviously a, a downturn now we've had a lot of positive people on the yeah. two but but the reality of it is like i've said it multiple times like it's the business right yeah. and, and you know this podcast will be dated by saying this but it's an election year right and election year and i'm not saying it's hillary's fault or trump's fault yeah. or or anybody else. Well, it's just the told, way the election I, I told you this a couple like years you're ago. the guy that yeah. yeah yeah it
1: was another commercial photographer that told me because yep. he had been in the business long enough he said every election year people get things get really weird and people get really a little more constrictive with their money and it's not and it's just it's this perceived reality, because there's all this chaos that goes around it, and then no matter who wins or loses, you know the next year everyone, everything goes back to normal. Yeah, but it's like there's always a little dip. Yep. And I've, I'm I think I've been in the business long enough where I'm starting to feel it because I think yeah. the first the first election year I worked through, I was still building my business up. So yeah, it didn't a really hurt.
0: hundred bucks is a lot of money when you're when you're starting out.
1: Yeah, but it was hard for me to feel the dip, and then the second time I happened to be. Like, I had just tapped into a big commercial client that was going to spend money for
0: the next two years anyway. So,
1: yeah. and then, and like, la- the, after that, I felt it then. Yeah. And I'm feeling it now, so. Yeah,
0: I definitely am. And a lot of my other friends, I mean, obviously our friends in New Orleans certainly are. Oh, yeah. Um, combined with their terrible incentive scenarios. So. Yeah,
1: but just one point before we wrap it up, another interesting story about the book, because uh, I've got this printed uh, set syllabus. By the way, if you go to my website, you can download a free PDF of it. There you go. I just have it up there because... Um, it has helped me get one and I, I did it because everybody has a website um, and I'm trying to network and I want something I can hand a producer, I can hand a publicist uh, that they can look through you know and it just gets something more tactile and it sticks out more and it's something they can stumble across too. And it's actually got I can tell you it's gotten me one job. Oh that's great. And it, I'm, I'll bring this up as a story and it's I didn't it didn't intentionally have well, it kind of did. So like the last movie I worked on, uh, before I got the job, uh, I had a out at my house, and a lot of film friends came over, and they invited some of that crew over. Uh, it was one of the first ADs I know because I'd worked with them on a, a show beforehand. So I was like, yeah, bring them over. And um, after it was over, I, the locations manager that I knew, who was a friend of mine, I handed him the book. I was like, here, can you put this in the production office? He's like, you know, I've already talked to him. I'm trying to get the job. Any little nudge will help, and I handed him the book. He's like, yeah, I'll give, give it to him. And he puts it in his truck, puts it in the backseat of his truck, like in the little center console yeah. backseat of his SUV. And he's like, I had every intent of putting it in there, and I just hadn't gotten around to it. It's like, he's like, Monday morning, we get in to go on a tech scout, and the DP comes in. Like, they both sit in the backseat. No seat. The way. DP sits on one end, the director on the other. I'd already kind of been in contact with them. They see the book, and they're like, oh, my God, what's this? This is awesome. And they just start oh, drilling no off way. of it. And, they're, you know, it wasn't the only reason I got the job, but it was a they, you know, they told me, they said it was a big push. Wow. Like, and it was, That was just happenstance. Like he goes, like I didn't plan it there. Like, oh, maybe they'll find that and Dan will get <laughs> sure, hired. And I was just sure. gonna throw it in the office and see what happened. Yeah. But it was that was so.
0: Yeah. Know. Look, I'm a firm believer in it. The we, we used to call them in advertising the the leave behinds. Yeah. And you'd always have something to leave behind with the client to to help seal. I think it's crucial because I can then bring this physically and be like, no, let me show you. Because there's something about. Um, physically looking at it it feels more real than if it's online yeah I, I don't know what it is it's just some some tactile thing that happens when i hold uh you know paper in the hands
1: so. well thanks to digital no one really prints things as much right. anymore so it sticks out and it's it's a very basic layout it's very photo heavy of course and i don't know if you know the back yep. is just basically my a shortened cv yep a, what would basically be my cover letter and some contact info you Yeah, know. and it's perfect it's yeah. what
0: it needs to be um all right. Well, uh, so we'll wrap it up. Dan, thank you very much. I mean, what an insanely good interview covering like more than I could have ever imagined. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I went all over the place there. No, no, but. <laughs> no. no, no but that's good. That's because you have that kind of career. You have this very interesting story and, and where it comes from. And I'm sure we'll pull you together. I want to do like a roundtable at some point where we get a lot of us in the room together just to talk uh-huh. uh, where we all are. Because different perspectives... Uh, I think once we engage that energy, would be a, a fun bit. But again, I want to thank you, uh, A, for the book, and B, for coming out and hanging out. No, for thanks for having sure. me I appreciate them. Been and listening. so they can reach you just to make sure they can f- find you on Instagram as well, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, my Instagram handle is Dan Anderson Picks, P I C S. Yep. My pictures. Uh, and my website is www.danandersonphoto.com. There you go.
0: So check Dan out, uh, and then uh, we'll just wrap up the show. All right, there you go. It's a long episode uh, and we'll never apologize for that because it was all great content, but wanted to just give some love uh to anyone listening feel free to shoot us a you know message or whatever you can find us on, po- at, on Twitter at podcast bdl you can find us on uh, Facebook at between the line podcast you can find me on Instagram at nameless ben. You, or uh, my other company thingy Majig, that you can see lots of stuff that frame 29 and Craft show are doing is at f29f CRFTSHO. that's at f29f CRFTSHO. Uh, if Chris were on here, he'd plug uh, scripted eyes, which is at scripted eyes. And you know what? Check him out on SoundCloud. If you get a chance, he's got a lot of cool music up there and I bet he would license it to you if you needed it for a movie or a short project, if it hasn't already been used, but you should, you should hit that stuff up Horst, Uh, you know, I don't think anyone knows Horst now, so we just pretend like he's the guy that exists that will make, he's like your favorite uncle. He just pops in, you know, maybe half drunk and just shows up. So hopefully we'll catch up with him. He's kind of like Bub from Slackjaw. Same kind of thing. He's like you're drunk, uh, insane. He's the he's the kind of uncle that holds fireworks in his hand. That's that's where we are. So maybe we'll have him back on the show. Who knows what we're going to do? Because it's a new year. It's 2017. I mean, 2017. Uh, and and it, it's a new world. So whatever. We'll see how it happens. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you when we see you.